Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Bowie, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering. What a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Good morning. Welcome to the Maximum Mom podcast. Today, I'm super excited to welcome a guest from Minnesota, Leora Maccabee. Welcome, Leora. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm so glad you are joining me today. And I'm sorry it took me a few minutes to get us on live. I don't know what was happening with Zoom. It just kept saying that I had to restart everything. But finally, then it let me. So I appreciate your patience, Leora. Leora comes, like I said, to us from Minnesota. She is an attorney at Maslin in Minneapolis. Leora, tell us a little bit about your practice. I mean, I know you do a lot of things, both with business, trusts and estates. Tell us about your practice. I think I'm I'm sort of a a dying breed of attorneys, which is that I'm a generalist litigator, right? So the idea is that if you have a business that comes to you, um, whatever's sort of business dispute that they're faced with, um, I'd be able to represent them, whether that's a contract dispute, someone sticks them on a deal to trade secrets and IP, product liability. So I've done a little bit of all those different kinds of cases, as well as trust in the state litigation over the years. And it's now been, I think, almost 14 years since I've been at the Maslin firm. So a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I don't know that I think you're a dying breed though. I mean, a real litigator, somebody who their practice is focused on litigation. I mean, I think actually that's such a unique niche. I think so many people steer clear of litigation. What do you find? I, I definitely think that's right. I also think that even when I uh, was, you know, interviewing for summer associate positions, you know, now, gosh, 15, 16 years ago, <laughs> I remember being asked, like, which box can we put you in, right? Like, which <laughs> narrow box? And I remember saying or thinking, I don't know if I actually had the courage to say it out loud, but I don't want to be put in a box. Like, who right. knows where the future is going to go? Who knows what litigation a business is going to be faced with, right, in five, ten years? So I'd rather have the skills to address any challenge rather than just, like, one tiny little box of challenges that may or may not exist in, uh, you know, five, ten years from now. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Well, like I said, you're from Minnesota. I understand you kind of grew up in St. Paul, but now you live in the Plymouth area. So kind of that other side of Minneapolis. Tell us a little bit about what, who's in your family? Who makes you a mom? Tell us a little bit about who's at home. Yeah. Well, I'm a a new mom for the second time around. So I have my first, the kids in my first uh, relationship, my first marriage. And um, not as blended as, as your family, it sounds like, is, but we, we have the, the two from my first marriage were now nine is the oldest, and that's a girl, and then six is a boy. And then um, I met my now husband, and so we have a baby girl who is five months old. So, or no, six months this weekend. That's so, sweet. yeah, so we have, and it's, it's nice. It, it, it really works well for us. So, um, so I'm very grateful to have those folks in my life. And then I have a lot of family outside of that, uh, siblings and stuff in, in the Minnesota area. So I went away to law school and to undergrad, but always knew. And Minnesota tends to bring people back here. <laughs> it sure does. Actually, Minnesota is a lovely state. I mean, having lived there for five years, so I'm just a little bitty transplant. We loved Minnesota. I did not have enough good things to say about Minnesota. 
I loved it. Well, I have to say, I know you're in, in Washington, and we just came back from a vacation um, to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and oh. Seattle area. My husband is from the Pacific Northwest, so he's lived in both of those areas. And so I, when I was in Washington, I was thinking I could live here. <laughs> you know, in my, my next life, right? You have the life yeah. after the law, after the children go to college life. I was like, this is a gorgeous state. So I felt the same about, about where you're living. That's funny. I do think their populations are very similar. I've read various lists where Seattle and Minneapolis often are neck and neck for the most read, you know, population. Like, People really like to learn. And I do think their populations are quite similar. And so that doesn't surprise me that you would feel comfortable out here as well. But I knew when I went to law school, I knew I was coming back to the Twin Cities. And so I made sure to, um, I had a a great contact who's already well in the Twin Cities legal scene. And I I basically asked him, what are, who are your recommendations? Who should I talk to and meet with at the various law firms? And I found Maslin and fell in love with it. Now, you know, 15, 16 years ago, so I did my summer associate clerkship here for a summer and then, you know, got the privilege of being offered the, the job here and have stayed on. And I think it's a really unique, there are about 80, 85 attorneys. So I guess that counts as mid-size at this point. Yeah. But I think it's it's a pretty unique space in that it's, you know, well-regarded, it's well-respected in the industry. It's still very local. There's only one uh, office, which is the Twin Cities. But it's always been very family friendly. And so as a result, you know, some people leave, they go in house or whatever, but I would never leave and go to another law firm. Like I've always felt that I'm able to be my full self as a mom, as a human and still practice law here, which I think you don't hear (laughs) that often, especially at a larger firm, right? You hear that maybe at a small firm, but to hear at a a firm of our size that, you know, women feel that they can, um, and, and parents in general, can be who they are, can be involved with their families and their kids. I think that's pretty unique. I think that's amazing. And when I lived in Minnesota and was getting back into the workforce, I mean, Maslin was one of those firms that just had such an amazing reputation. So, I mean, I'm not shocked to hear that, but I'm curious, what do you think has made it like that? I mean, are there women in the partnership and like executive leadership ranks? Or, I mean, what do you think has been one of the, or two of the reasons why it's like that? that. Any law firm that's trying to keep women in its ranks, especially young women, you have to both have people you can look up to at the firm and women in leadership, um, mm-hmm. but you also have to do some systemic things. Like I remember before COVID when everyone used to be in the office, right, all the time, our air conditioning would shut off at six o'clock. So mm-hmm. if it was if it was winter, the heat would shut off at six o'clock. Right. And that was a message that the firm was giving everyone, whether they had kids or not, go home. Right. right. Go be with your family. Or if you don't have a family, go be in the community. But you right. may log on, um, you know, many did after kids go to bed, but get out of here. And I think that right. that was a very strong message. And that was what the firm did. They just shut off the AC and nobody wants in Minnesota summer. You do not want or Minnesota winter. The the heat or the AC is out. You do not want to be in that building. So that's one of the things I think as a system that the the firm did. But the other thing is there have been, we have um, one of our our managing partners right now, Keiko Sujisaka is a woman, um, one of uh, the the women who has been a partner, who's still a partner, but has been, is now off the governance committee. 
Terry Kravosa has been very involved. And so she's, there are a lot of women where you can look up to them and say, right. okay, it's possible, right? They have kids. Keiko has three kids. So I'm like, okay, she, she has three and she can do this and I can do this with three, right? So I think that that's, that's really helpful as a young woman oh, yeah. to see that. And to see that even for the guys who are in leadership, that a lot of their wives are working women. Right. Because I feel like you can have male lawyers who are mentors, but if their wives are stay-at-home moms, they might have different expectations in terms of, oh, oh well, yeah. I work to the office all night and all weekend. So Absolutely. I think <laughs> yeah. finding a firm where a lot of the attorneys have both working spouses or spouses who have some sort of, you know, significant commitments where the, where the attorney has to step up and do a lot of the parenting. I mm-hmm. think that that helps to make a place feel like it can be a home for a working mom and a working parent. I love that. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I th- think you really hit the nail on the head. I mean, when you have male attorneys whose wives also work, they have a very different life than a male attorney whose wife stays at home. I mean, it's right. just, let's just face it. If we all had a stay-at-home wife, our lives would look very different. And it's just, that's kind of the thing I think that I have As an attorney, you know, you go to conferences and you listen to things. And I've listened to more male attorneys, I mean, who run, you know, just huge, huge firms, you know, hundred million dollar personal injury firms. And they're talking about, you know, how plugged in they are to their families and to this and that. And I'm like, you might want to mention that your wife of 40 years has been at home this whole time. Like there is a very big difference between what you have to do to quote unquote, be plugged in. I mean, you know, plugged in might just mean you're showing up at dinners, you know, enjoying the company of your family, but you're not managing the household. Right. And I think it's, you know, the more and more I've seen women who are successful attorneys, like, you know, I, I consider myself in that category of working their way up the, the chain either at a firm or in-house mm-hmm. and their husbands are stay-at-home uh, husbands or they are freelance um, in a, you know, whether it's my husband's a freelance artist or they're freelance musicians, um, mm. because it someone's career has got to give a little bit. But I think the thing that I don't know if you've seen this, but when a woman has a husband who's not working full time, right? So they're either in a freelance role or a stay at home husband. So I, as what I've seen is a woman, myself included, still wants to be involved, right? I'm not oh, going to yeah. drop into parenting. My my daughter actually has her first COVID vaccine tomorrow, and I'm mm-hmm. so excited. Yeah, and I will be there. I will be there because I want to be there for that. I it's a it's like a celebratory moment, but it's also a yeah. very painful doctor's visit. <laughs> so even though I'm working full time, I want to be there, and I feel like that is the challenge. I think that law firms and any legal environments have is how can you be there so that you're supporting your employees to be able to be dialed in and involved, and they need to be involved, but also giving them that grace to say, okay, I need to take off some time here and do this right. and I need to be there for my family. So. Absolutely. Have you, and I don't, I don't remember, have you had the opportunity to read Fair Play by Eve Rodsky? I haven't yet, but I've heard it mentioned is on my, it's on my reading oh, list. It is truly life altering. Like I cannot encourage you enough to read it. I mean, it will completely restructure how you think about taking care of the home. I mean, and just in the simplest form, the idea of putting a system in place 
to do all the home stuff. You know, we all have systems in our law firms, you know, running a case, or we have case management. You know, we have systems, we understand the import of systems, but most of us don't operate from a, you know, a system standpoint in our home. It's more of a, you know, fly by the seat of our pants, we're gonna nag our spouse or they're gonna nag us. Like it's a, you know, have you done this? Have you done that? And, you know, having those conversations, but fair play really puts a system in place. I think you and your husband would find it fascinating to be able to read and enjoy together and just understand how that system can simplify things, especially now with this third child. I mean, you know, right. you're going you're going back to, you know, infancy again, you know, and, and right. you had already gotten into that, you know, elementary school. And so there's a lot. I would think that you you all would find super interesting about fair play. That's, that's great. No, I, I definitely have to prior. I know that's one of the challenges, finding time to oh. read and enjoy, but I do. And oh, there's certain books and that one keeps coming up. So I have to make that a priority. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. You talk about finding time. I mean, tell us a little bit about, I mean, I have to bring up the pumping thing because I mean, yeah. I have no idea how many people know about it. <laughs> Before we got on, we were discussing pumping. You tell us. Tell yes. us the story. Oh, well, yeah. So uh, we were discussing pumping because I just bought the Willow Go, and they are not paying me. I am. I would be a spokesperson, I swear, <laughs> for that company. But they, I mean, they just released this product, I think, only two months ago. And it wow. really, I mean, they, they'd had a prior one that was more expensive, but now it's a little bit more affordable. But um, it's a, a pumping device that literally sits in your bra and has no tubes. And um, what I was telling Elise is that I can write, I can go about my day, I can meet with my law firm partners, male and female, I could go to a deposition if I had it, I, I had jokes that I could do this podcast interview while it's pumping, although it is stopped pumping right before we started. So I put it away. Uh, but it really it's in terms of time saving, there is no question that there are certain tools that we have to bring into our lives to save time. And I think every working parent figures out what those are. And I'm still figuring them out on a daily basis. But yeah. this, there's no question, this is a stress reliever and it's a time saver. And I, I mean, it has little quirks that everyone has to, any new device, right? You get an iPhone, you have to figure it out. But I think it's um, it's really been a, a revolutionary for me as a as a working parent. And if I have, I don't have a mediation schedule, but it's one of those things where if I had a mediation, I could literally pump all day and nobody would have any idea that I was pumping. It's just, it's amazing how technology has, has gotten us here. So It is. I mean, I'm still just blown away by this. Of course, I'm going to have to go look up this, this thing now. <laughs> and then I'm going to have to just like support them. I mean, in huge right. I mean, this literally could change so many mom lawyers in particular. I mean, their lives where, I mean, we all have been, you know, hooked to that cord and that bag and, you know, we couldn't go anywhere. I mean, and it surely wasn't convenient. I mean, with the pump apparatus and the whole bottle, you know, I don't know if that's what you use. Right. I mean, it was definitely not fitting in your bra. I mean, barely fit in anything. I mean, you know, you were lucky if you could just put on something over it, you know, so you didn't have to just sit around with all this right. apparatus. I mean, oh my gosh. Well, and I, I think one of the things that we do, I think uh, probably maybe all working parents, but I definitely think it's working moms that we prioritize everybody but ourselves. 
Yeah. Um, so you're like, oh, I'm going to get this thing for my kid. I'm going to get them that new, they need it. They need lessons. They need music lessons because it's going to better them, right? I, they need new clothes, but we won't buy ourselves clothes. So this was something where I, I, I bought it for me. I bought it to make my life easier. I already had a normal pump right. and I, that was fine, right? If I was, if it was just about cost savings, my normal pump was fine but um but this came out and I was like this is something for me to make my life easier and we have to do that sometimes and it, there's no question it, it has so oh just the thought of being able to pump while you're doing dishes or while you're right. reading and doing homework with the other kids right. do you know where it's not this I mean that just seems super helpful to me because I mean I just remember thinking I mean I remember all the machinations I went through to get things that I could do while I was pumping. You know, like I would prepare this whole little like coffee table of things that I needed to do every time I pumped. So, cause I, I really had a hard time just sitting there pumping and you know, it just was, you felt like you just were coming to a halt every time, you know, and depending on your child and how many kids are nursing and all that kind of stuff. Like it can be pretty, I mean, like you're pumping a lot. I mean, right. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's the thing, especially, I mean, with the formula storage, and I'm very grateful. My daughter now takes formula at first. She didn't, but right. now she takes formula. So we do both formula and breast milk, but especially with the shortage, it's like anything you can do. If you're a woman who is able to breastfeed and wants to breastfeed to do better at pumping and, and feeding your kit. It's like, God bless you to be able to do that. I do remember like pumping in a bathroom at a holiday party. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I don't remember a lot of those weird moments, but I, I'm sure I blocked them out. <laughs> but I remember, like, you know, everyone's dancing and partying and enjoying it. And I'm like in this super tiny bathroom stall right. at an event. And right, nothing that, you know, pumps the milk that your kid eats should be in a bathroom, right? Exactly. I mean, that should not be a space where you're hanging out. It should be so normalized that you're out and about, you, you know, clean your, the parts of the pump in the kitchen, right? It should not be like that you have to hide in a bathroom, but that's no, how we have to do it, right? It's not sanitary. Like that was always when mine were little and even when I would have to bring the child into the bathroom to pump. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how many bathrooms I sat in toilets, pump, I mean, nursing my children, you know, on the toilet. And I was always like, this is the most ridiculous, unsanitary place in the world to feed your child. <laughs> it just, it made right. no sense to me. And I mean, just seeing that, like we have a shopping center in Seattle, it's called the U Village. It's a lovely shopping center. They have these rooms for women in the ladies' bathroom. They are in mm. the bathroom in the sense of you walk in, but it's like this massive suite area. So they have one room that's got toys, sofas. I mean, all kinds of things where a toddler could stay engaged while you're nursing. And I mean, completely wow. different than the way it was. So I love to see a little improvement, oh. but obviously we have a ways to go. I mean, like we were talking about just with bar exam taking and depositions and mediations. I mean, all the conversation women are expected to have. I mean, sometimes with just strangers, like having to just go up and be like, I need to go pump now. We need a break in this mediation or whatever. Right. I mean, it's kind of, awkward, I think, for a lot of people to just even have those conversations. 
Right. And I know Mothers Esquire is an amazing organization oh, and yeah. working on those issues. But you're right that it's almost like an individual basis. We uh, have to figure out what's best for us. If you have a mediation where, you know, I had a mediation before this baby, right, about last mm-hmm. year. And it was a full day mediation. And it was my client. I didn't want anyone else to step into that room. So it's like, well, what was I supposed to do if I was pumping at that time? I happened to be hugely pregnant instead. <laughs> instead. But it's like, you know, what is a woman supposed to do in that situation? So this is one tool, you know, this, these new pumps are one tool to, to help us. But I do think part of it also is like having those difficult conversations and normalizing Sweet. issues, yes. right? Normalizing that a woman, as you said, who is pregnant is going to have to pee a lot and it's yeah. going to be, you know, you're going to have to take more breaks as a result or going to yeah. be pumping, but, but normalizing those conversations. I don't think even the sweetest you know, most compassionate guys don't always even know. Like my my um brother-in-law, I was telling him about his company. He goes, oh, do you do that once a day at the office? And I was like, no. If, if you're trying to pump for your kid, you're pumping two to three times a day. And he's yeah. a very sweet, nice guy. It's not like this is like the, the old boys network who is not engaged. He's engaged. It's just he doesn't know. We have to be vocal about the issues that we deal with as working law, you know, law moms, right? Totally. Um, and, and make that conversation. Yep. I have to leave now. It's my kid's basketball game. And you know, a guy, a working dad should be leaving for his kid's basketball game too. You know, and I think the more that we are open about what we need, the more that gives them space to be a little bit more involved in the family too. Oh, I think you're exactly right. And I do think a lot of us, you know, we struggle with some of that negative self-talk and the worry about what's going to happen. But I think you just nailed it when you say, I mean, we have to be more vulnerable and we have to normalize the stuff we do. I mean, women do feed babies. Like many women choose to nurse and that's just biology, you know, and they are feeding their child and sustaining life and like that just shouldn't be something we're nervous to talk about, you know? Right. And, um, and I do, I think you're just dead on that. So many people, they just don't necessarily know. Like, and I mean, you know, until somebody really gets to witness it a lot of times, I don't think they'd have reason to know. And so having those conversations and talking about it and, you know, making it be something that's not taboo, that's not embarrassing. And it's just the deal. You know, and I mean, there's just certain biology, the fact that I had to go to the bathroom so much and had the bar exam lady with me watching me go to the bathroom. I was like, I can't help this. Like, this is, you know, any doctor is going to tell you, like, you have to go to the bathroom a lot when you're eight months pregnant because everything sits on your bladder. Like, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't work otherwise. And so, yeah, but I think you're right. I mean, the more and more we can all normalize this, the better. And I think that that is probably our biggest work now is normalizing it, you know, and just having those conversations, being able to do it in a matter of fact way, but also be able to answer questions. You know, if people have questions and they don't understand, not being embarrassed or, you know, or angry that somebody's asking questions, you know, right. Just no, I think, I think that's key. Cause I, I do think, and especially for sort of younger women who are entering this profession or a few years into the profession, I think it's so important for them to see those of us who have been practicing for a while 
being open and honest because it's much harder when you're a first or a second year associate to oh, yeah. say what it is that you need. And it's yeah. much easier when you've been around the block and you just demand it. Right. <laughs> you say, this is what I'm going to do. So we were we were talking in terms of, you know, sort of uh, saying what you need. I, I mentioned to you before we joined that, you know, I, I decided I wanted to work part-time out of a co-op office space mm-hmm. um I'm, i think i was the only person at my firm to have ever done that i'm sure that there are people who joined country clubs right but mm-hmm. but no one had joined a work co-op and i did it because i wanted to be surrounded by incredible women all day who were you know creative minds who were entrepreneurs who were business owners and i wanted to be able to help them with their legal issues but i also just wanted to be around their energy and right. so that was something that no one had done. And my firm was sort of like, oh, really? Um, okay. I mean, they, they let me do it. They said they wouldn't pay for it, you know, but they're like, if you want to invest, it, you know, it's not that expensive. So they're like, if you want to do this, go for it. And the funny thing is now that everyone is working remotely, it would be a lot less weird to ask for it now. But Bye. before the pandemic, they were like, why would you want to work someplace that isn't our downtown Minneapolis law firm? I don't understand. And it's like, because I want to be surrounded by these women. And it was also a little closer to home. Yeah. Um, and now, as I mentioned to you, I'm, I'm working sort of 50-50, sometimes in our downtown office. Um, but more of the time, you know, it, it tends to be at this, um, you know, place in the sort of a first ring suburb um, where I'm surrounded by, you know, really interesting women and the problems they face and the opportunities that they have as, as business owners. I would think that would be such an amazing rainmaking opportunity. I think so. And I think that's one of the things that as I've, you know, I've now been a partner for three years, but even when I was associate, I was always very interested in how can I build my practice as a mm-hmm. litigator, but also yep. how can I grow our firm and strengthen our firm and what does that look like? And especially I'm most interested in um, how can I build up the incredible women who I work mm-hmm. with at our firm? So as much as possible, I'm referring business to women attorneys. We have an amazing employment law attorneys, uh, you know, sort of business contracts attorneys, women and attorneys of color, because I feel like we haven't been the beneficiaries of the old white boys network. Um, And so to the extent that um, there are opportunities for rainmaking, you know, it's sort of a a natural and obvious connection for me. So yes, there's no question that I'm um, also part of that co-op space, as well as other amazing business leader women groups in town uh, to help make those connections and hopefully to bring in uh, business, you know, from people who are starting their own businesses or who are executives at established businesses as well. Running your own practice can be scary, whether you're worried about where the next case will come from, feeling like you're losing control over your growing firm or frustrated from being out of touch with everyone working under your license, the stress can be overwhelming. We will show you how to turn that fear into a driving force of clarity, focus, stability, and confidence that eliminates the roller coaster of guilt-ridden second-guessing and mistake-making to get you off that hamster wheel for good. Maximum Lawyer and Minimum Time is a step-by-step playbook that shows you how to identify what your firm needs and how to proactively get it at every stage of the game so you are prepped and excited for the inevitable growth that will follow. Name the lifestyle that you want and we'll show you how to become a Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. Find out more by going to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash course.
Yeah, I think that's amazing. I mean, I think the more we can do both as mentors to other women and also as real sponsors of, you know, younger people's careers. I mean, does your firm, I mean, do you all have like a a program in place to mentor younger attorneys or is it more of a each person kind of handles it, you know, how fits their personality best? I know that as associates, there's sort of a litigation coordinator or on the corporate side, the corporate coordinator. I think that's more for work. You know, hey, this right. you know piece of work, I know we want to make sure you're not too overwhelmed. So, you know, one sure. person or two people are dealing that out. But a lot of the mentorship is that one-on-one uh, mm-hmm. connections, which I'm sure there are firms, especially as you get larger and larger, I feel like the firms do an even better job of that mentorship because they have more structures in place. One of the little things that we started doing, which, you know, I think anyone can take with them is encouraging partners to develop those relationships, the mentorship relationships with associates. They just said, if you take an associate out, we'll pay for it. Not for you. You you pay for yourself, but we'll pay for the associate's meal ticket or their drink ticket or their coffee. And I think that just that's a little sign from the firm saying we support this and, and we'll help you sort of develop that relationship. So. Oh, I think that's really important because I do think that, you know, really getting outside that office space and caring personally about each other is what is going to develop that mentoring relationship that's going to be, you know, withstanding and it's going to really be beneficial to both parties. I mean, I think I find mentoring younger attorneys, even younger attorneys outside my firm, I mean, like just out in the community. I mean, I get as much, if not more, out of it than they do, probably. I mean, I I find it very rewarding, and um, I learn so many things from younger attorneys. Well, and I think that that internally, and especially, you know, for, you know, younger women attorneys who are, are listening to this, I feel that that internal networking is beneficial to develop mentorship opportunities, but it's also good to get client work, right? I mean, if someone on the, you know, business side of your firm knows that you do litigation and they have a dispute that's bubbling up, they'll know that they can reach out to you. And similarly, I, you know, take great pride in saying, hey, my client's dealing with this contract issue. Will you help them write this contract? Will you help them develop this policy manual? And I think, you know, making those connections, the more that you get to know each other as people and develop those relationships, I think that that comes naturally. Absolutely. I just think it's an amazing opportunity. Well, that, I mean, that brings me to like, when I think of somebody like you, who's been in a firm like this for years and really has grown up with this firm. I mean, what would you say has been some of the, the real leadership takeaways that you've gotten either just on your own, maybe you're developing your own leadership kind of outside, or is your firm really supporting you in your leadership development? I think the biggest, well, I think there are two pieces. I think the biggest thing that the firm has done in developing me as a leader is really letting me take the lead. And I guess that's like, sounds corny, but, you know, go after my passions. So Mm -hmm. I actually started a nonprofit at the same time as I started Mm -hmm. working at Maslin. Um, and at this point, I've been able to step away. We have full-time staff um, for the, it's called DoFolk. It's a sort of Jewish engagement nonprofit in the Twin Cities. And now we're expanding to Cincinnati, which is really cool. But yeah. I started it at the exact same time as I started at our firm. And I was a little bit nervous. It just yeah. it sort of just worked out that way. I was a little bit nervous that individuals of the firm would think that I was, you know, prioritizing that over the paid work that I was about to get as an attorney. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, one of the founding attorneys at our firm, Marvin Borman, who is no longer alive, um, he's passed, 
because he said to me, you know, we support the work that you're doing. I'd actually been interviewed and I hadn't mentioned my law firm name. I was so nervous that the firm wouldn't support what I was doing. I didn't even mention their name. And he said, I saw the article and you should have mentioned the firm's name because we support the work that you're doing. We support that you want to be a leader in the community. We support, you know, the community service. It's very much a community service kind of, you know, opportunity. He's like, we want to honor that. So next time, you know, be proud of, of where you are and know that, that we're behind you. Um, and yeah. I did feel that, I mean, I, before we had an executive director, I was doing fundraising meetings all day long. I would have multiple coffee, you know, cause you have to fundraise somehow in order to hire an executive director. <laughs> totally. You need a certain number of, of dollars to make that happen. And I would do my legal work and then I'd go meet someone for coffee and come back and do my legal work. And I, I did that for many years. And the mm-hmm. firm was very supportive of me doing that. So I think that's one of the biggest thing a firm can do is, is you know, almost trust the attorneys, right? Trust I... that you're going to have a family, you're going to be involved in the community. And if they work with you through all the ups and downs of your life, you're going to stay. Exactly. Um, and that's definitely, that definitely is what happened in my case. And I feel that sometimes, uh, you know, companies or law firms get nervous if you're spending time on other things and sort of discourage you from doing it. And then an attorney leaves because they want to do those things. And I didn't want to run a nonprofit for my full time job. I just wanted to be very involved in it for a period of time. And the firm honored me in in doing that. And I think that that was really key to my leadership development and, um, Mm -hmm. and also to the development of this organization that's now sort of on its own with its staff. And, and I can sort of focus back now on, right. on my legal work, whereas for several years, I was, I had a lot of focus there and, and the firm sort of let me do that and, and trusted me in that process. That's amazing. Well, one thing I think would be really interesting because, you know, most of the people in the Maximum Lawyer group own their own firms and they're, you know, like generally the CEO of their offices. And one of the things that, I mean, we see all the time in comments and at masterminds and at Max LawCon and just constantly has to do with accountability and, you know, how do people hold their team accountable? So somebody like you who has been an associate at this, you know, mid-sized firm and has grown up, you know, from a very young lawyer to now a partner, what does accountability look like in a firm like yours? Like, how do you all hold people accountable and what does it look like from, you know, a partner's perspective? Well, I think it's different too as an associate and as a partner, because as an associate, um, you have an hours requirement, right? A certain number of hours that you have to get in in any given year. And that's how you show that you're being productive, right? That's how mm-hmm. you show that you're making, uh, that you're, you're paying back the law firm in essence, right? For what right. they're paying for your salary. I think as you get to be a partner, which I think is more applicable to, you know, the, the individuals that you mentioned who are the primary listeners, a lot of it is, are, are you prioritizing rolling this business, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you can, we can easily spin our wheels just doing a little bit of legal work here and there, but I think what needs to sort of the, the goalpost really needs to be, am I growing my business? Right. And that can be something, whether you are a solo firm or a medium sized firm, you have that challenge. I do think it is a challenge um, to sort of figure out what are, what are the, the niches that I do really well in mm-hmm. and who are the people who I love to talk to, right? I think that's the other piece of it is that you're going to do best if in the spaces that you're happiest in, right? So I've, I've learned that I love 
you know, marketing and networking on LinkedIn because mm-hmm. I love writing and I love marketing, networking with other women business owners and women in-house counsel because I love those conversations and mm-hmm. those relationships are going to lead to business maybe right. in 10 years, maybe in a month. But yeah. the point is you do the things that you love and you'll, you'll grow your business. Um, right. And so I think that that, that that is the biggest thing in terms of being accountable is Am I, you know, what is my focus and how am I going to get there? And who do I need to talk to? What relationships I need to build in order to get there? And I think the challenge, you know, just like uh, a solo attorney, no one is looking over my shoulder and saying, Lior, are you hitting your metrics? Even though I'm at a firm with, I don't know, it's, you know, 40 or 50 other partners, we each have our own silos of the work that we're bringing in and we work together, which is sort of a, a unique opportunity is if I, if there's someone who contacts me, who is an attorney in another state and they, they need our assistance with the Minnesota lawsuit, I can help them. But if they need our assistance with a, a Minnesota contract drafting, I'll find one of my partners to do it for them. So I am unique and I love that opportunity of partnership, but it's still the buck stops with me in terms of my business growth just like it does, I think, for all the, the attorneys who are listening to this podcast and working with you, is we have to be prioritizing what works for us. Because no one can, can define that for you. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think one of the struggles that we see a lot is how does an, an employer, so a CEO of a small law firm or even a you know really small law firm, like maybe they just have one associate or a paralegal, how do they hold their team accountable for those you know production hours? I see so many people going back and forth about, well, they didn't meet their hours, but you know there was this reason, this reason, this reason. So I don't know if that counts or doesn't count. And it's fascinating because I think there is such, I mean, in a, in a larger law firm, I mean, I worked in a larger law firm. I mean, we had hours that was our production, like you mentioned, and there was very little room for negotiation about meeting them or not. Was that your experience as an associate or was there a lot of fudge room in that? As an associate, and, and I know that things change over time. So I, you know, I stopped being an associate a few years ago. Things may have slightly changed in the years since, but my understanding was here's, you know, sort of the ballpark of where we'd like you to hit. Right. And if you exceed that, you were much more likely to get a bonus that year. Right. And if you didn't exceed that, if it was a dramatic gap, you you know, someone would ask you about it. But if it was just that you were sort of in that range of essentially, you know, 40 to 50 hours a week, you know, right. over the course of the year, then it, it, that was fine. So there wasn't a lot of emphasis. I know that there are definitely the larger firms that expect many hours that I don't know how people find the time. What I realized as an associate is I was like, this is as many hours as I have, especially as a young mom, right? Right. This is the number of hours I have. I'm not going to get a bonus. And I just became okay with that, right? That, <laughs> I could get in that range where it was good enough and I couldn't get in that range of the gunner, right? The, as I say in law school, right? That's that above and beyond just killing it on hours. I could never do that because with kids, number one, I couldn't. Number two, I didn't want to. I wanted to be there. I wanted to cook dinner. I wanted to be there in the evenings. And so that meant that I wasn't blazing through the hours the way some people were. And I think it was just an understanding, okay, so I won't get an extra five or 10 or 15,000 the end of the year. So be it, right? We still, as attorneys, make good money. I would rather be there for my kids. So I do think it's a dance. I think you know, there's a certain level where right, you have to be in that range where you're still contributing. You're paying the firm back for your salary. 
But um, I do think that working parents have to choose, are we going to be available for our kids and our families? Or are we going to be that crazy working until the wee hours in the morning uh, on on billable cases? And and that just wasn't something that I prioritized. Right. Um, And it wasn't right. I wasn't penalized for it. I just, I didn't get the bonus. Yeah. Which makes such perfect sense to me. I mean, about the choices we have to make. One of the things, though, that I know as a business owner myself that I'm really um, grappling with is, and it's going to sound weird, but is the whole idea of a 40-hour work week. Like, who came up with that? Because I actually think 30 hours works a lot better for everybody. And so I've been really wondering, you know, how do we restructure our whole office around a 30-hour work week, that being a full-time schedule? I just know as a mom, it was always a real struggle if you added the 40 hours plus, you know, some time extra, because there's always some time extra, plus your commute. I mean, you easily were looking at like 55 hours a week of actual work, you know, where you were involved somehow in getting there, doing something, attending a function, whatever it is, at least I did. And 55 was really pushing it to raise my kids and to, you know, do the things I wanted to do outside of work. I completely agree. And I feel like there are other countries, you know, I don't know how many of your, you know, listeners and, and colleagues um, in this space have in other countries, but I feel like other countries have, have figured that out. And the U.S. is sort of lagging on that, that, you know, you don't need to work, whether it's that you take Fridays off and that is your get stuff yeah. done day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or whether it's that you're not working as long a day on all the, on all the days of the week that you can be involved right. with your family. And I would say, I think summers are the worst time. I mean, maybe, you know, once your kids are grown, it's less of an issue. But for us, I mean, summer camp only goes, it's a much shorter day than the yeah. school day. And yeah. a lot of kids, need to be driven places, right? I drove my daughter, luckily it's actually near my office in downtown, but I drove her to her camp and it's a 45 minute drive. So luckily my office is only five minutes from it. But otherwise that's a 45 minute drive to drop her off and then to pick her up and a shortened day. So what are these lawyer parents supposed to do in the summer? You know, and I I feel like that, especially if you're going to do a 30 hour work week is figuring out, start with the summer because that's the worst time to to make that juggle. So, and I feel like, especially if someone's building their business, whether they're at solo firm or small firm or a mid-sized firm like me, is that I want to fill my week with lunches, with coffees, with events, if I can swing it you know, in order to make those connections. And yes, yeah. some, you know, meeting might be just a half hour Zoom, but as you know, the strongest relationships are not just a half hour meeting. It's an hour and a half sitting down and getting to know each other. Totally. And those hours add up. So if, you, if you're really developing relationships in your practice, then it, that's right. Those are hours that, you know, are going to take away from that 40 hour work week if that's all you have. Oh yeah. It is, it is a real, I mean, I feel like it's a game of Tetris all the time, like trying to fit everything in, make it work, do the balance. I mean, cause I really tend to think balance is just a misnomer when we talk about work-life balance. I like to think of it as life work integration. I mean, we just we have to have harmony in what we're doing in some weeks look better than other weeks, you know, like some weeks I feel like I was super successful in 
getting it all done and it looked all good. And then other weeks, it was a shit show and I got nothing done well, you know? <laughs> and, and I do think we have to give ourselves grace too, right? Yeah, Is that, you know, this morning we all started our, our morning out with a big fight. By the time <laughs> that I got my daughter, maybe five minutes into our drive, we were all okay. And it's okay to have screaming matches sometimes. And then it's okay to try to like, fix that before everyone starts their day and all of those things can exist right in the yeah. same day and that's oh, it's okay so right? true. it is <laughs> so true well and also i think some grace around everything doesn't have to be a hallmark moment or a hallmark experience i mean i i and maybe it's generational but i mean i feel like there were many things that I was like, okay, well, we're going to do this. And no, I'm not going to cook that. Or, you know, you're going to make this or you're going to do this. And it didn't have to be this whole event. And I feel like moms have this really intense amount of pressure on them now. And obviously I'm sure there's different reasons, but I really think social media has not helped this where almost everything is supposed to be like an Instagram moment. And I'm like, that is just not reasonable at all. And I, I think that's a huge point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a struggle. And I just, I think the more grace we can have for what we're doing as parents and just remembering the actual point of parenting, you know, is to raise these like independent self-thinking people with initiative, kindness, you know, they're good citizens, <laughs> like, right. you know, they don't have to be you know, like Martha Stewart, and they don't have to, you know, be able to have 19 amazing skills that, you know, they're going to go get a scholarship on. I, mean, I just, right. I just feel like it's kind of gone haywire. Right. I do think that's, and I think it's important for our kids, both boys and girls to see, here's a juggle. Like this morning, my daughter was like, can you have, can I have pancakes this morning? And I did promise her pancakes yesterday, which was dumb. I should not have promised it for this morning because it was a work and can't work. It's not possible. And I told her, I can't do it. I should not have promised you. That was my mistake. And on weekday mornings, it's a cereal morning, right? It's right. just grab the stuff out of the box, pour it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> if you're lucky, I can make you bacon on the side. But like, that's pretty much as much as we can do and just being honest with our kids and I wasn't honest because I told her I'd make her pancakes and I have fixed that so that was, that was the fight right <laughs> the well now you could have pancakes for dinner tonight have you thought about that I, I was like maybe one time this week we can have breakfast oh. or dinner and you can have the pancake a hundred percent I'd be whipping up my pancakes tonight for dinner just absolutely like right. what can you do I'm it's just, yeah, it's a lot of juggle. Well, actually, I cannot tell you, Leora, how much I appreciate talking to you. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. I thank you for coming on and talking to me today and just sharing your insights with the Maximum Mom community, because I do think we all are just in this thing we do, you know, as moms, lawyers, some of us entrepreneurs. I mean, and it is a lot to juggle. And so I appreciate your time. And I can't wait to hear about your pancakes for dinner some night. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really, uh, I really appreciate it. This was definitely fun. Absolutely. And thanks again for letting us know about the Willow Go. It was Willow Go, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I saw the non. They're not paying me. Um, just, you know, <laughs> not, I'm not a sponsored. It's not a sponsored post, but just a 
a trick, one one extra trick in our toolbox, right? Absolutely. I mean, I'm all for those tools. That's what we need more of. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and your week this week. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.